Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. I go by on Twitter, and I am here with Haz of Hazimation, uh, someone I met recently via, uh, I guess, via just like uh, your team reaching out. I yeah. uh, I, I wasn't uh, super aware of your work, but it's actually all like pretty exciting and pretty cool, and okay. I'm looking forward to talking with you about it. But uh, first, hi, how are you doing? How's your How's your morning going? Thanks, Trevor. Um, actually, it's five past three because we're based in london oh of so course it's... you're uk yeah how's your <laughs> yeah. afternoon it's good it's good okay. um lots of lots of um, crazy stuff happening which we're going to talk about but Great. it's all game development um but it, it's good um, i guess i i wake up every day thinking oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this for a living right so <laughs> there you go <laughs> i mean that's that's the way you want to be that's that's the dream right yeah. um and I mean, I, I uh, this is an unpopular opinion to to have sometimes, but I I, I really like um, I spent like uh, three or four months in London in college, and uh, I I love it there. It's a, it's a it's a wonderful place. I know it has its downsides as well, like any big city, but uh, housing is apparently like oh yeah, <laughs> extraordinarily expensive. But uh, you know, uh, it, it is a lovely city, so I'm I'm a little jealous of you there. Uh. <laughs> so. Um, you're, about, you're actually working on a couple of proce- projects right mm-hmm. now, um, and we can talk about them. The three, the three main ones that I've seen, um, and, and let me know if I'm wrong with this, but the sure. because so the the Hazimation site, if, if anyone's curious, it's Hazimation.com, H-A-Z-I-M-A-T-I-O-N.com, and uh, there's just like there's there's film, there's video games, there's all sorts of stuff that you're working on here, and it's, it's pretty neat. Um, but there's a, a sort of like Fortnite. Yeah. Uh, Crossover. You have to explain like the, the relationship with Fortnite. There, uh, there's a metaverse uh, thing, like an excellent. It's called Exlantis, which yep. um, again, like obviously, and then uh, more explanation there. Uh, but also Rift, which is sort of uh, is that a film and a game or just a film? So Rift is an animated feature film, but the thing, the link with the game is that it's the movie was created entirely in Unreal Engine. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. Um, and then we have a spin-off video game called Max Beyond. And that, um, that one got signed with the ID Xbox program. So it's Microsoft Xbox's um, independent developers program where they send you development kits and give you support to make your first game, which is beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then obviously where we got a bunch of other games in development, but also, you know, because we're a company predominantly producing original content, original IP, once in a while we, we would like, you know, collaborate with other companies. And one of the companies we're collaborating with at the moment is a company called Funcom on this um, game called Dune um, Awakening. Yes, based on the movie Dune. Oh, and, um, wonderful. And, wow. Yeah, so I'm directing the cinematics on that. And Hazimation is the production company that's collaborating with the amazing team at Funcom to do these cinematic, super ambitious, sexy-looking um, storytelling <laughs> sequences that take place in-game real-time. That's all I can oh. say before breaking my NDA. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, okay. Well, I won't ask any more about the NDA. But I, so look forward to a, a, a pretty great-sounding Dune game there. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, so, man, where do we start? Um, so let's start with Rift. So sure. uh, there's a trailer on your website, which I've watched. It, it's, it's pretty cool. It's like a, a cool, like, fish out of water. Not fish out of water, but, like, <laughs> you get that whole uh, sort of tough guy turned sensitive yeah. guy, uh, yeah. you know, Concern about a kid, uh, concern about a brother. There's yeah. all sorts of stuff going on in here. It's it's a you should watch the trailer. It's cool. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the the process of making Rift because there's something yeah. like um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the the sort of history. Maybe you are, uh, but maybe the audience isn't either. Um, 
of uh, you know like the, the the ways that people have used um uh you know games like quake or doom mm-hmm. uh even like early you know uh yeah. the three, 3d games to create cinematics and, and sort of like obviously yeah. there's the, the famous example would be uh red and blue the the halo thing but yeah. uh but there's this, there's this long history so i'm wondering like it, it's so interesting to see this shifted into something like unreal engine which is mm-hmm. half sort of that <laughs> and half a, a true uh, yeah. development tool so uh, what it's been like making a movie in in unreal well, I mean, I was one of those guys that would be modding levels in Quake back in the day. I was, uh, I was also very much embracing the world of machinima. Uh, which oh, is okay, where, yeah, that we, was the word I was trying to come up with. The word you're thank you, for. thank you. It's been a minute. <laughs> that's the one. Um, and Red versus Blue was was um, one of the most successful ones in terms of popularity, where people mm-hmm. go, "Oh my god, you know, it's it's Halo, and it's just a bunch of players, but they're recording voice and you know doing these poses, and you can stitch it together and edit, and you've got." essentially a comedic movie based in the halo world and you know i remember seeing that i'm like oh my god you know this is so cool we can make movies in a video game engine and you know back then like even back in the in the red versus blue um days if you used to pitch to a studio that you want to make an entire feature film you know an animated film entirely in a game engine you just get laughed at the room you're like yeah get out sure. no, yeah right, that's, right that's not because well, they're, they're yeah. thinking they're thinking like at that point you know you're you're probably most execs are thinking it's going to look like mario or it's you know sure. it's like it's stuck exactly. in like an bit sort of position yeah well, okay 16 bit at least well, I, mean, uh, <laughs> I, I guess credit credit to them I, I i guess i guess you're probably right but no but you're absolutely right i mean that that is that was the mentality and i guess it, you know my background originally was working in video games that when i started off my my first job in the industry was back in and this will show my age but you know it was back in 98 when i was still at university and i and i got a, a one-year placement at a video games company called um Deba studios working on this um game called extreme biker um and this was for ps1 pc um and even back then i wasn't really working on in-game stuff i was working on cinematics but back then cinematics was you know called fmv right that Mm -hmm. was that was how they would like call those sequences um and you know they will be pre-rendered using alias wavefront which you know for the old school guys they'll recognize that for the new school people that's just maya what we use now um in 3D Studio and all those tools, and I remember thinking, "Oh my god, this is so cool! I'm I'm make I'm making these like cool chase sequences and extreme sports sequences, all on a computer pre-rendered, and then that plays as a video file at the start of each racetrack, right? right. And then from there, I end up going to work for various games company up north, and I end up working at a company called Codemasters, working at Colin Ray Rally, um, and then worked for Kuju Entertainment for a game called Battalion Wars, which was on Nintendo GameCube. And worked on a bunch of games that got obviously cancelled because that's just the nature of the industry. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> to so many people. <laughs> I've been working on this game and then it got cancelled. Eh? Yeah, you, you spent years. And, and if, the bad thing is, man, you can't even use it in your showreel or anything because it's like, you know... It's, it's, it's cancelled. Yeah, it's cancelled. Exactly. Um, but I remember like work, working at, um, at on Battalion Wars and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm doing these really cool animated sequences and this is on GameCube. And again, this is all pre-rendered as well. I'm like... what. I'm just making movies on a on a on a on a game engine. Why don't I just like go and do it for like for real? As I would say, mm. you know, no one's making movies in game engines. Like 15, 20, 10 years later, I'm laughing because I'm doing that now, right? right. But um, but back then, so, so I went to work in visual effects for a while. I went to work at a company called MPC. Worked at Framestore. Worked at a bunch of places. And those places are visual effects companies in Soho, in London, that works on the big 
Hollywood movies like Harry Potter and so on. So I got to work on a movie called 10,000 BC, the Roland Emmerich movie, and then end up working on um, one of the Narnia films, did some stuff on Harry Potter, um, and then eventually went into what you call previs. So when I was in visual effects, I was what you call a compositor. For the, for the listeners out there, um, in visual effects are hundreds of jobs, right? But in um, in visual effects, you got to pick one thing that you want to do. That when I worked in video games, I was a generalist. I was doing animation, video editing, lighting, you know, a bit of coding, whatever it takes to get to get the game out. Whereas sure. in in visual effects and movies, especially on the big studios, you got to pick a department and work in it. So I picked compositing, which is taking the CGI rendered frames and taking the footage that's been shot on set. And my job's to put it together and with smoke and mirrors and all the tricks in the in the box for compositing make it look like it there's a real dragon in the shot and that it's not a cg dragon right okay so so that was my job and then i kind of rose up becoming a senior composite then became a visual effects supervisor and so on but my big break i would say in visual effects was doing pre-visualization so previs is basically like the um the animated mock-up of what it would be like if you used to shoot it for real right so a lot of the marvel movies do a lot of previs they're basically animated films or animated version low-res animated versions of what you want to shoot and you present Mm -hmm. it to the studio and so on and i worked on this movie called the dark knight and uh, never heard of it i don't think yeah that that tiny movie that christopher nolan did (laughs) yeah that one (laughs) um and i remember like um working at pinewood studios for that there was like six or seven of us and i was the only compositor and i my job was and this is where we started to coin the new phrase post-viz where i would take the previs animation take the footage that was coming in from the studio on the day of the shoot put it together to see what it would look like so things like the truck flipping um the bike shooting the cable around the around the lamppost to cause the yeah. truck to flip all of that we had to figure that stuff out on the computer like make sure mathematically it was correct technically it was correct right lenses editorially so essentially my film school was working on previous i had to learn how to construct sequences together all in you know in in the software called maya on a computer and then from there i became a vfx supervisor where i spent less time on the on the boxer that we call it no less time on the computer and more time on the film sets working with amazing directors working with not so amazing directors but you learn from <laughs> but you learn from both and um and, and my job as a vfx supervisor was essentially um problem solving it's like how do you take a huge ambitious idea with a slightly tiny budget and a very compressed schedule and make it work so that was my job as a VFX supervisor. I got to like collaborate with some directors, producers. I worked on TV shows like um, Planet Dinosaur for History and BBC. Um, I just done a ton of shows, and um, I realized at some point that I kind of want to stop like doing stuff for other directors. I want to make my own shit, right? I want to. Yeah, I was. I was going to ask when did that when did that sort of cross your mind? So that it was, seems like it seems like you got into this with McKinema and all that stuff, where like. That is so much that early internet. And I'm saying that as someone who, like, you know, just to show, just to put it all on the table with age, I graduated uh, high school in 2003. So, like, I'm a little younger than you, but not to the point where, like, I'm I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not like, we're in the same generation, you know? You're in the same (laughs) generation. Did you you have a Super Nintendo or a Mega Drive? I had, uh, I had a Super Nintendo. I had a Nintendo. The first, the first system I got was a Nintendo. And then I had a, a Super Nintendo. Um, and eventually a Genesis, uh, oh, yeah. but yeah, went, went from there. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's right. You guys call it the Genesis, of course, because we call it the Mega Drive. It's like the Japanese call it the Famicom, which is essentially the Super Nintendo. Well, it's so uh, funny because the Mega the Mega Drive here was like a it was like a, a different system. I feel like it had like better. 
there was like more capacity to the Mega Drive here. Um, right, right. And it was very, very. I mean, it was. I don't know if it was hard to get or not. It was. It was you know, I was a kid, so who knows? But like, <laughs> I, I didn't know what market pressures were or anything. But uh, you know, like the, the the Genesis was the thing that people got. Uh, yeah. The Mega Drive was just sort of like some people would have it, and it would have like weird shaped cartridges that would look a little oh, nicer. Oh, I see. Uh, I always. Oh, well, that makes sense, man. That makes sense. Was it more? Was it more popular in the states than the the Genesis or like the uh, Sega? I would, you know, actually, that was probably the period of time where there was the most competition um, between Nintendo and Sega with the Genesis just before the before the Sega CD, which was, uh, you know, kind of a a big mistake by them. Um, Oh, do you remember the game? There was a game on there I remember playing. And that was my that was, in fact, that's a really good, interesting thing. You brought up the Mega CD because that was the first time I saw like, oh, you can put live action. That's a really good point. Yeah, because actually my my dad, my dad was convinced that like uh, that was like a cool new thing that was that was going to happen. Like, oh, well, this is this is the next deal. Uh, And so he he found one at like a a shop at one point and was like, you know what? I like let's 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 do it. Let's let's get this. Um, And so I had a Sega CD and the the you're absolutely correct. Like that was the first time I saw like what we called FMV, like the the, the true sort of like full motion video like the you know this is this is not computer generated this is a real person kind of thing yeah. and like a sewer shark and stuff like that yes exactly yeah i i remember the game night trap uh, oh night trap yeah sure remember night trap yeah. Night, yeah there was i mean it was quite it was very adult as well i remember what thinking like should i be what should i be looking at this <laughs> like this is like very adult um, that was a big that was a big controversy in america that was one of the was, games yeah. that people got really upset about and uh, yeah. wanted to censor video yeah. games over there's the ho- the whole home invasion thing, right? And mm-hmm. the violence and the and mostly scandals. they were cons- typically. I mean, this will come as very little surprise because it's America. That we were mostly they were concerned about the the really brief nudity. Oh yeah, the, the home invasion was not <laughs> much of a concern. That's so true. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we didn't care about the other stuff. Is it? <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. But I I remember like. Um, like when I was working in visual effects as a VFX supervisor, like I'm like, you know, I got to make a couple of short films, right? Like that's sure. that's how we do it, right? To make a couple of short films, and like, I mean, working in visual effects isn't a nine to five job, you know, it is a friggin' lifestyle. You very rarely have any time because like you're in there just day and night making this thing work. But yeah. for some reason, I was just a sucker for pain. I'm like, I'm just going to make a short film in my whatever spare time I have. So, um, <laughs> and I knew I, you know, I only had something like I don't know, like. 500 pounds or something um and i had a laptop i had adobe premiere um after effects and you know and i'm like okay well i have a camera but i probably have to get a friend to that that knows how to shoot this stuff and i can't shoot anything um and i need a bunch of actors and i wrote this script and it was basically because i was in because i was supervising at the time i was supervising for the bbc on this show which is a documentary but very um space documentary so there was a lot of visual effects in there and i remember like all the directors had gone to the next show and it was down to the visual effects department and editorial to figure out how to piece this documentary together to get it for transmission. You know, it was one of those PBS type shows, right? And right. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, like you can make a movie just with footage. So I went to the NASA website and NASA is amazing because they have all this footage there for public domain. And I just downloaded i spent like a week just downloading everything and anything i could find on nasa like oh, someone's cool. high res yeah it's really good quality dude like hd and everything um so i i downloaded all that stuff and i remember reading the print because i mean, obviously being a vfx producer 
I kind of know about legalities. I'm like, let me just read the small print because this is too good to be true. That's and smart. Yeah. Good, yeah good call. I don't get sued on my first shot. And um, it did say that you, it's free to use public domain. You can use it in any short film projects, anything like that. But you cannot use any footage with the NASA logo on or anything with the astronauts faces. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, which I thought was fair. But the thing is, though, all the cool shots had the NASA logo on. So, <laughs> well, that's how they get you. <laughs> so yeah. they get you. But, hey, I was a compositor, right? I was a visual, I'm a visual effects artist. So I'm like, okay, well, I can take the shot and just paint out the NASA logo and put my own logo on, right? And when it comes oh, to not? the astronauts' faces, I would just put, um, I would just composite a CGI reflection so you can't see their faces. It's just a big visor on their face. That's smart. Um, yeah, use the, right. use the space, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, sure. totally. And so what I was doing was, like, I was taking like the the footage, the 1986 footage of the Challenger space shuttle launch, and replacing the space shuttle with a CGI version of the shuttle of my own. But all the other stuff, like the smoke and the fire and all that very very expensive stuff to do in CGI, I was getting for free in live action. Yeah, so that's that's, kinda, that's public yeah. domain. They can't they can't copyright fire. <laughs> that's that's yeah, right. Right. I know exactly. That's a good point. Exactly. So I, I end up making a short film, a fake documentary. It's a really a fake. It's like a mockumentary mm-hmm. about um, NASA getting together to send the first human brain in a capsule out into space. And oh, then cool. okay. like 20 years later or however long it took, um, we get we get a signal back from the and it's very much inspired from the Voyager probe that was launched in 1978, which I find very fascinating because that thing is still out there. Yeah. Past past like the event horizon. It's now out there and God knows when we're ever gonna get a signal back it's so far. And it fascinated me. And I thought, what if we send a human con- a human brain that somehow can still be alive consciously to make first contact in a very um in a very sort of like a cerebral way mm. and i mean i i don't smoke weed just in case you're thinking like this guy must be high right <laughs> no it's all right no. <laughs> i i think I, I don't know like i feel i feel like the 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 question about I, I feel like if you're if you're interested at all in in sort of imaginative things i mean part of part of you has to sort of think about like the the yeah. possibility of other intelligences and things 100%. like that even if even if it bounces off of you but like the idea that you'd be thinking about it does not surprise me. That totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love I love the whole space stuff. And I, I grew up watching Star Trek. Mm. You know, I, I know for me, I, I was always obsessed with that stuff. Um, but but yeah. And then, and then and the whole idea of the story is that when we make first contact and then we interview these scientists who are trying to figure out how real is this signal and what does this mean for the future of humanity and all of that stuff. But I did it all in a very glossy J.J. Abram, Michael Bay's kind of look to the footage because I I love those movies. Mm-hmm. So I released it. It was like a fifteen minute. Um, it was a it was a fifteen minute um, short. Put it on Vimeo, and I think within a week it like got hundreds of thousands of views. Got oh, Vimeo, yeah, it got Vimeo staff pick, which is a big deal for like yeah. back then for sure. Um, and I was getting phone calls from like Hollywood and all these agents and everything. So you know, and the reason for that is because it's timing. You know, I released that movie back in twenty. 13 i think it was and uh-huh. that was a time when movies like district nine had come out There's oh sure like monsters so yeah every hollywood exec wanted that 
grounded science fiction and it was a it was it was a huge bubble so i managed to ride that wave and then like flash forward several years later i end up making the feature film version of that which was called um the beyond which ended up going on to like netflix and it's now on paramount plus you can watch it oh, cool. and i did an- another movie called origin unknown or 2036 origin unknown and that started the lovely that started the lovely katie sackoff who we can see in the mandalorian oh. as bo katan so and then from there i end up getting hired by Disney to direct a show called Fast Lane, which you can watch on Disney Plus. And I became an exec producer on that show. And then at that point, I'm like, I need to like have my own company. And I, you know, I was working with this amazing producer at the time called Paula Crickard, who was on my second movie. And we both looked at each other and said, listen, let's set up a production company so that we can make movies the way we like to make them and focus on our own IP. And me and Paula got together um, as business partners and still are business partners today and um, this is back in 2018 and um we set up hasmation and originally it was supposed to be live action so just pure live action but then the pandemic hit and when the pandemic hit back in like late 2019 early 2020 yep um hollywood was on a standstill all these projects that i was up for got put on hold the project that me and paula were producing and, and i was going to direct my next sci-fi film all the casting was holding basically Hollywood was shut down. Oh yeah, so no, like, I mean it was yeah. it was the yeah it was absolutely a a, a standstill. Uh, yeah, I oh, remember 100%. that. Hundred percent. But what's but what's it mean for creators like us? Like oh well, what do we do? Do we wait? So we we waited for like a month or so. But here's the thing: while I was waiting, I was doing previs planning for the sh- for the next movie shoot because I'm just saying, hey, when this thing's over, at least I have a previs to show, and I was using. Unreal Engine, the very early version of Unreal Engine did previs. But here's the thing. Remember I said I worked on previs for The Dark Knight? Now, yes. on previs on The Dark Knight, it was all very grey and blocky, and it was all about the camera moves, right? So you knew you are watching previs. The previs I was doing in Unreal back in 2019, 2020, didn't feel like previs. They looked like mm. animated films because I was getting reflections, ray tracing, motion capture data. I was getting all this stuff rendered in real time. So when right. I was showing, yeah, so when I was showing this to actors and studios and financiers, they're like, what are we watching exactly? And I'm like, previous. <laughs> they're like, nah, we've seen previous. Previous is usually gray and blocky and we know what it will look. This looks like an animated film. So light bulb hit me. I'm like, wait, what if we made an entire animated film in the game engine? I remember like pitching this to Paul and Paul was like, Pretty crazy, but hey, what have we got to lose? Because- yeah, what's, what's going to go wrong if we do it this way? Exactly. <laughs> Let's give it a try. And exactly. And we had made um, a substantial amount of profit on our first movie, which we put into, we keep putting into our company because we just you know, want to keep doing this for a living. And we had a small team and we we had a script. Now, you know, like every filmmaker, a writer, any, anyone creative always writes a bunch of stuff or comes up with a bunch of ideas and they put them in a drawer, right? And mm-hmm. usually those, those ideas are ideas that are like the most far out batshit crazy ideas that no one's going to finance because a they're very expensive and b uh, maybe there isn't a market for it but for us it was more about it was very expensive and it was a movie originally that i wrote um, as an outline called brother which is about this big brother breaking out his little brother out of this huge um medical facility because his brother has special abilities to distort time and space and there's a lot of um i can i can see where i can see where that led to this (laughs) exactly right and and i remember in the treatment there was physics defying gravity action sequences and i remember paula reading reading the outline goes yeah (laughs) maybe for your fifth film this is like super expensive so we shelved (laughs) it but when it came to doing an animated feature we're like well why don't we just take the most insanely unshootable script and utilize the power of the animation medium to tell the story. Yeah. And that's what we did. And like, you know, several years later, we had 
made a movie entirely in Unreal. Epic, who have been amazing, came on um, sort of like at the start of the project. We showed them like a 10 minute um, sequence we were animating and we were going to finance this all ourselves, by the way, because we you know, were like, we may as well, right? Because no other finances were coming in place at the time. Right, exactly. And, and we hadn't done animation as well as a company. So, but we showed Epic what we were doing and Epic were like, this this is really cool. The fact that you, you are making an entire, an entire feature film in our engine, like how can we support you? And they had something called a mega grant program, which is this amazing mega grant program, which is funding where you pitch them the idea if they like it, if they think there's any, um, you know, any value in showing off you know, Unreal Engine using the project, then they'll give you a grant. And we got a grant. In fact, we got two grants from them, which was amazing. And with that wow. grant, that allowed us to, yeah, it allowed us to kickstart the project more. And um, and now we finished that project. And now we are w- prepping for our next animated feature film, which is based on a video game IP from Funcom and Tencent called um, Mutant Year Zero. So essentially what we've done is collectively myself and my business partner, Paula, we've taken the world of live action and the world well the world of cinema and the world of video games and we put them together and really the lines have blurred massively between the mm. two well that's really cool yeah I, it, it, it was interesting watching rift and then seeing the game like that was sort of what came to me where like you know <laughs> we were talking about McKinema before and and yeah. and there's like it was it's really cool but it is obviously a video game right like it is it is sort of yeah. like using using the tools you have to create something different whereas you know looking at something like rift the question of like okay what are we looking at here is this like a video yeah. game is it a movie it, it, it's a harder question to answer which exactly. i mean you know is is a it's at least like a super interesting question right where like you know why aren't we using these uh, you know, programs that can create the, these amazing uh, cinematics to create movies and vice versa? Um, I, I like the way you answer it with this, where it's like it is it is sort of a it ends up being a way to get around the fact that it is yeah. prohibitively expensive to do exactly. certain visions, right? Like it's not a it's not necessarily, and I mean you could correct me if I'm wrong, but like it seems to me like this isn't necessarily something that is replacing film it's simply like it it sort of acts as a uh, a supplement so to speak 100 percent. you know like you know we we me and paula went to the european film um the film convention uh back in february it's like a it's like a film market where mm-hmm. filmmakers producers sell their movies and distributors like netflix amazon someone are there to buy the movies right so it's essentially it really is a film market and we're speaking to a bunch of animation people and like Animation traditionally is always been the most expensive medium to work on, which sure. is why whenever like I would pitch animation back in the day, they're like, "Yeah, no, no, <laughs> we don't do that. That's too expensive. You have to like go to like Blur Studios or or Titmouse or all these amazing animation companies out there, which is which takes an army of people to make this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, what we were doing, we're like, look, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna redefine the amazing Pixar or DreamWorks or Sony animation. No, that's that's what that's that's the tentpole movies. Now, that will always be there. Yeah. But what if there are a bunch of independent filmmakers that want to tell stories in an unconventional way and make it commercial so that they can make a living off that? And we looked at Unreal as a way of enabling us to do that. And, of course, it changes the way you work a little bit. You know, we don't have a bunch of animators that are animating every single frame or every single movement. We use motion capture, which is which is the technology used very popular in video games. Anyway, if you look at the behind the scenes of Last of Us games or or the, or the God of War games, they're all motion capture. You know, people with dots on their bodies walking around this volume space of optical cameras picking up the data. Yeah. So 
we we did all our animation of that and all the facial animation was using like our iPhones and we'll like, you know, pull some expressions on our iPhone and using the AR kit in our iPhone, it will capture the footage. I mean, the data from our um, faces and apply that onto the character. And then we'll go in and tweak it more. Very unconventional. That is not how animated films are made. No, not but at all. We had to, but we had to, right? So because of that, now there's, um, and by the way, we're not the only ones doing that now. You know, there are a bunch of other amazing filmmakers out there and studios that are out there now looking at Unreal and go, hey, not only can we cut down the cost, but we could also be more bold and take more risks because we don't need an army of hundreds of people to make these films. Sure. You know, we could try an idea out, like a, a solo filmmaker, just like a solo developer. You know, I remember back in the day, like the, the bedroom coding days, you know, I used to buy a magazine and there'll be like seven pages of code and I'll go into like, um, ST basics. I had an Atari ST back in the day <laughs> and I would, and I would t- spend a whole day diaping that code and I'm like, this is it, guys. I'll get all my, my brothers around it. This is it. We press enter and guess what? Syntax error. You're like, <laughs> no. And then you're figuring this stuff out, right? And that kind of reminds me of what it's like now, like for filmmakers that want to make animated content using, you know, the machinima approach or in Unreal Engine is that a solo filmmaker can learn that tool, download it for free. All the educations are free as well. You don't need to go to college or uni to like learn Unreal. You go to college and uni to learn you know, the theory of filmmaking and the rules and stuff, of course. But to learn Unreal, you can just learn that. I learned it on YouTube, right? Yeah. And then, but that one person can try ideas now. So like, as a director, I, would, you know, I don't have to like hire a, an army of storyboard artists or an army of animators to and spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars to do a proof of concept where I can just do that at home and test it out. And if it works, then I can use that as my calling card to go and raise money. And that's powerful. That's a powerful enabling. Well, yeah, and it, it really like, especially because it feels like, you know, tools like Unreal Engine are becoming much more uh, accessible to people, right? Like the, yes. the this isn't something, you know, like you talked earlier about like Xbox, you know, sending you a dev kit and stuff like that. And yeah. this is, yeah. of course, the old way of doing it. Um, and still the way of doing it. I mean, that's obviously to, you know, sure. develop for the PS5. You need a dev kit, et cetera. But yeah. this idea that like, you know, you can as just a, a regular person, like I could, I, I, I have avenues where I could get an Unreal Engine or like someone, you know, down yeah. the street can get it. It's, it's really, it's fascinating. It, it seems like, like the way you're describing it reminds me of kind of the intensification of um, uh, consumer electronics around uh, uh, like camcorders and stuff that happened in the 80s and 90s, where like, mm. you know, all of a sudden you had, it wasn't Super 8 anymore. It was like a camcorder. With a camcorder, you could like, you could actually film things that looked a little more like a movie. And then the, the yeah. cameras kept getting better and better. And at a certain point, I mean, I don't want to use the word democratize because it's not quite the same. It, you know, if you if you do have a lot of money, you still have a lot of uh, a lot of pretty wonderful advantages. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really interesting to see how your project here is, uh, you know, working within that same legacy of like, you know, just people getting their hands on technology that allows them to do what people couldn't do for years and years because of a lack of funding. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, the interesting thing is our next movie, Mutant Year Zero, this was essentially, we. I got called up by um, two wonderful producers called um, Frederick Malberg and Mark Wheeler, who were based out in Los Angeles um, at the time for a company called Pathfinder, which is now called mm-hmm. Robert Signatures. And they own some of the biggest and awesome IP, one of them notably being Conan the Barbarian. They own the IP for that and all the comic books and everything. And they had a bunch of video game IPs tied in with Funcom. And one of the games was, um, you know, they did games like Moon of Madness, but one of the games was um, Mutant Year Zero. And, you know, they said this is like 
pre-pand just before pandemic hit, they sent me the game. Like, would you like to pitch on it as a director? We have a bunch of directors pitching. We'd love for you to pitch because we've seen your stuff. I'm like, cool. And I remember putting the game in my PlayStation 4, and the minute I see the first logo I see after the, the Sony logo is made in Unreal. So I'm like, hmm, wearing my game developer's hat and my filmmaker's hat, what if I reach out to the game developers of Mutineer Zero um, through Funcom? And the, I think the guys are called Bearded Ladies. They're not Bearded Ladies. They're just called Bearded Ladies based in Scandinavia and um, like Denmark specifically. And, mm. and I asked them, hey, can you give me all of the Unreal Engine assets that you use to make the game, including the sound files? Now, of course, they're like, who are you? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, why would anyone ask that? Like, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm a filmmaker. I know Unreal. They're like, oh, right, here you go. Here's like, you know, like 500 gigs worth of Google Drive data. Download it. Like, <laughs> you're naive. And, and I was a little bit naive because like what I really quickly learned is, you know, remembering now when you put together a character in a, in a game, in a video game, it's not built the same way as it's built in an animated film. In an animated film, you build an entire character from head to toe. You have very high quality textures. You have a skeleton and everything is pretty much built as one thing mm -hmm. in in video games it's built very modular the head is one component the arms are one component the bodies are one this one component the jacket is another component and they're all stitched together in code so that you can customize your characters and so on so i got these it was almost like a, um, a lego set being smashed on the floor and i'm like oh okay i gotta put this character together and it was, I mean, that's how we learned how to use game assets to put together these characters to run in some like Unreal Engine 4 at the time. But I remember we did this and we did like a three minute test test sequence and we put it out on, on IGN. IGN ended up covering the story. Oh, cool. And it just, yeah, it ended up blowing up and everyone's like, oh my God, they're making the movie. And that's just, and yeah, I can say, I can say it now, but it was only three people who did that proof of concept. It was myself, a guy called Andrea and a guy called Ronan. And, oh, and we had one guy doing the music. Um, Edward White, who did the music for Gears of War Tactics. That was it. So four people, including audio, was able to put together a three and a half minute sizzle sequence trailer to show what the world could be like with Mutiny Air Zero as a feature film. Interesting. And yeah. Yeah. And that's really cool. Like, I, I think like, you know, it. I mean, there's something about the I don't know. There's probably a lot to say about you know, the, uh, the, the, the industry and its lack of imagination in some ways where like, you know, you can pitch something like this and people will not like it. And then sure. if you, if you on some level can do it all yourself, <laughs> and like give them and show them like, okay, I did all this work. Like this is what it could be. All of a sudden they can see the vision. And like, you know, I, I, I understand like on, on a certain level, I get it. Like it's a risk is much less, uh, is much more palatable when it's less of a risk because that's fine. But like, yeah, it is, it's cool to hear how, you know, it's cool to hear a story of people putting something together and changing, like changing someone's mind or changing the, 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 and, um, changing the way people think about the, the process. Because of course, like there's so many stories of people putting a lot of work in and creating an amazing thing. And just like that, that's the end of it. Right. Like a hundred percent. I think a lot of it is, um, you know, and, that's the thing I find like with a lot of creatives like, I have some like I, I love talking to other directors I love talking mm -hmm. to other writers other game developers you know I'm going to the develop conference next week in Brighton nice to do exactly that and I love that but you do sometimes have to think like the ones that are really doing well out there their content are the ones that 
actually wear a business mind to it, you know, like not saying they sell their soul or anything to the studio machine mm-hmm. or anything like that, but to the point where you kind of have to play the system a little bit to for the sake of your art, right? You know, I want to continue making movies and making video games. So you have to understand how the industry works. And a lot of it is, you know, commercial viability. You know, if you have a cool game idea or a movie idea, you know, is there a market for it? Now, of course, some will say build it and the audience will come. And that that is true for many things, of course. But in the world we live in today, like if you look at like the reason why, you know, we're, we're, making, uh, we're making our next movie based on a video game IP, which is perfect timing. And there's no, it's it's a no-brainer why it's being greenlit pretty quickly after two and a half years of writing the script and so on because Mario just came out and made a shit ton of money, right? And <laughs> yes, Sonic the Hedgehog great, did well, yeah, right? <laughs> very, very true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're you're sort of you can ride a wave at that point, which I mean, on some level, is just being prepared, right? Like just sure. like having having it in your back pocket and being like, okay, like you know, if if but like I think. You know, more so than that, you just have to use what you can get. And, and yes. you know, if, if you do get good timing as far as that goes, then you have to kind of use the good timing. For sure, man. I mean, so far, I've you know, I've made it sound like, yeah, you know, it's been it's been a ride and it's super easy. But I have to say, I've had way more no's in my entire career than yeses. Mm. I've already had thousands and thousands and thousands of no's. There's always a million reasons why a studio will say no compared to that one or two reasons why they'll say yes. And mm. a lot of it is which you've alluded to already. You know, if I was to give a pitch deck or a script or a verbal pitch on what this movie would be, they're like, okay, sounds good. I think it could be cool. I don't know. I need to see it to know that kind of vibe. Whereas you do a proof of concept and it and it's a trailer and you're like, oh, this is what the trailer would be like. This is what the market would be like. This is how I would sell this product. Yeah, I'm more likely to say yes or at least have another conversation about it before saying no. Right. Um, and even, and I mean, the even the most, like even the most sort of idealistic uh, directors or editors or, or things like that will, that'll end up being the case with them where like, you know, I, I found that with my own things where I like, I've been, you know, pitched freelance writing or something like that. And, you know, right. even my good friends will be like, yeah, I want to, I want to publish what you have here. I like your writing. Like we just need to figure out a way we can get it okayed by the board or we need to figure out a way that we can, you know, get this, uh, we you know, make people realize this is a good project or something like that. And it, it really is like, you know, it, it's okay to be cynical about that. Certainly. Like I I'm cynical about it. I, I, it, it, it annoys me and all that. It's fine. But also like, it's kind of, it's kind of empowering to know that you can do things like you're doing with Hazmation, uh, just by way of like, cause obviously you've had a ton of success in the, in the industry, but like, it's also this seems to be your baby in in a lot of ways, like things that didn't come from a studio you worked with being like, oh, well, you know, thanks for working with us on this. Here's a favor for you. It's much more like right. you kind of set out to do it on your own. Exactly that. I mean, you know, yes, I directed this awesome and I was an EP on this show called Farsane at Disney. And after that, you know, we continued working with Disney on a bunch of projects that probably would never see the day of light because this is the way the studios work. We do a bunch of pilots and a bunch of tests and you build that relationship, but that isn't the be all. And that, you know, that, is, that isn't just it, you know, the butt doesn't stop there. You know, like you always got to have, you always got to look at, um, you're going to have at least four to five projects going on at the same time. I think Man. that's the big thing. Like, you know, if you're a filmmaker or a game developer or any kind of creative and you're like, oh, I've got this one thing and I'm just going to push that one thing. I, that's okay if you have the if you have the tenacity to keep pushing that one thing on and on by the time you do the market is probably like you know not 
not going to take that, right? So for <laughs> us, it's like we had five projects. Like for example, you know that that project Rift, which is originally a script called Brother. I no one told me to write that outline. I just wrote the, the treatment in my spare time and, and shelved it with some images. Uh, and then when it came down to like we need to make an animated film, boom, we had something. You know, there's a, like even with the the Fortnite game that you know that we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, yeah, I was. Like that, I didn't plan. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good segue. Um, I didn't plan on making a Fortnite game. In yeah, you know, I wasn't like a huge Fortnite player at all. But when I was um, when I was at GDC, the Game Developers Conference, yeah. early in March in San Francisco, I was in the Epic um, Conference, and when they announced that they are going to release something called Unreal Engine Fortnite UEFN, which meant that creators like myself can create unique visuals and experiences utilizing the Fortnite engine and tapping into the amazing audience fan base at Fortnite. I'm like, oh my God, like we have to do something in it. It's a freaking no brainer. We're mm-hmm. making games already in Unreal. We're making movies in Unreal. What if we take both those things together and get it powered by Fortnite and our game is instantly available to 500 million players out there. That's yeah. plus plus. Huge. Plus, it's on the PS5, it's on the Xbox, it's on Switch, it's on PC. I have all that user base. I don't need dev kits to do a Fortnite experience. I mean, it's a no-brainer. So we were able to put a team together and really take a project that, again, you know, the 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 UEFN project, the Fortnite game, is called Moontopia. And that's based on a TV series that we were developing, which is going to be an animated TV show about, you know, a bunch of people... Um, crash on the moon and have to make their way home um, via a spaceship it's kind of like gravity meets a quiet place set on the moon right um and that was going to be an animated film but we realized you know we've got so much on our plate let's just put that in the back burn for now so when it came to moon topia we're like why don't we just take an existing ip original ip we developed funny enough we built all the assets in unreal already why don't we just move that into uefn unreal engine fortnite and that's how the fortnite game came about which is coming out end of july by the way that's cool. So, like, I, you know, all of this makes me wonder, uh, and and this is sort of, uh, I guess, this is the the central question for any creative, um, especially working in uh, an industry where you know funding is 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 key. Um, you know, what comes first for you? Does the because uh, obviously, like, there's there's a lot of, uh, and I, I mean this in a in a positive sense. I'm not trying to, <laughs> to undercut. There's a lot of hustle uh, in in your work, right? Where it's like it's like you're, you're oh, yeah. looking, you have a bunch of things on the back burner, and you see you see an opportunity, and you're like, I have something for this, right? And like, yeah. my I, I grew up, my dad uh, is still um, an actor, and like, you know, there's mm-hmm. always that's you know, he's always has a million projects going on, and there's you know, there's there's the corporate work, and there's the auditions, and then there's also just like projects, right? And like that's that's kind of just how it works, and it totally makes sense. I I wonder, like, with your work, um, what sort of comes first for you? Does the does the the kind of like search for a viable next project come first, or are you thinking more sort of along the lines of your aesthetic, your 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 um, I guess like your your uh, for lack of a less elegant word, your artistry. <laughs> um, I think it's a bit of both. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, it's interesting because I don't even know sometimes what I'm going to make in a few years' time, right? Mm-hmm. It just an opportunity presents itself and you look at the opportunity and it becomes into something, right? Like like two years ago, I had no idea I was making an animated film. My plan was to make another live action film. Um, and then, you know, situ- circumstances happen, a new piece of technology I'm using, and all of a sudden there is funding in place. There's a way of making animated film. You end up making animated film. Same with video games. You know, I once when I left the video games industry, 
Like, there was no plan of me going back. I was like, no, I've done it now. I'm going to go work in movies. Good film. Now, yeah. Right. But but exactly. But then, like, obviously, I'm a, I'm a massive gamer. I love video games. So that's always been part of my DNA. Even in the films that I do, I always reference some of the video games that I play um, just as because they have amazing stories. They have a great aesthetics and everything. Yeah. Um, but the thing that was interesting was the fact that, you know, we end up making a video game demo out of Rift at just pure accident, I think it was. <laughs> we, we were we were animating a car sequence in in the in which is the, you can see that car sequence car chase scene in the trailer. Yeah, and um, and we're not animators. I'm not an animator. Like I can animate, but I'm not like Pixar level animation, right? And um, and to animate a good car chase you got to get the suspension right got to get the wheels spinning correctly the bounce and everything the skids I'm like, oh my god that's a lot of work um so we're like why don't we just like we're in a game engine why don't we just plug a controller in drive the car around using the game controller and then record the movement and that's what we did and as we're doing that we're like oh plug a character in do a bit of work in unreal like some blueprints connected up and run it as a game and we start just it was just like a gray box environment with a character that from the movie because we had built the character with um with very high quality um lod's level of detail we're able to like you know change the lod lod one lod two mm. but unreal engine does that automatically for you in a way so you just take the higher res stuff and it does the lod's for you so we're able to run around the character we're like oh let's make the character jump cool okay what if we add another character and it's shooting and we're like, this is so fun. So as a game jam, <laughs> we spent the weekend just putting together this really rough, like super rough demo of just of a, of a guy and a kid, a kid with superpowers and a guy with a gun, just blasting bad guys. And we're like, we should make this into a game. And there you go. Now we're a game developer. We're, we pitched it to Microsoft. We pitched a bunch of people. Um, we, we did release a version actually called Rift. The game, we did release a game called Rift, like an early access demo on Steam. Um, which we learned a lot about, by the way, because we put it on there and people ripped it to pieces. They're like, oh my God, this sucks. It's a great idea, but the execution is bad. Oh and no. Just, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, I mean, there was, some, there was trolls and then there were trolls. Um, <laughs> but it really did open our minds. Like, actually, you know what? We The cool thing about the game industry is the fact you can release a piece of art, i.e. a game demo, and early access and people look at it rip it a piece and stuff but they don't hold it against you because they know it's it's an early access demo that it's going to be fixed it's going to be you know ak cyberpunk <laughs> right it's going to be fixed and stuff and re-released <laughs> you can't do that in a movie that like you can't release an early access uh, that's movie. true you can't <laughs> <Right>? yeah <laughs> so that's the thing that we realized Good oh point. so we went back <laughs> yeah can you imagine so um so what we did was we we took it down from steam we looked at all the comments we looked at everything and then we took a break and then we came back during the post-production of riff and we realized well first off we have the movie name rift works in movies but Rift doesn't really work in the video game world because there are tons of games that do Rift, Oculus Rift. That's a so great on, point. Right? Yeah, it's it's yeah, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. Imagine the publisher going, mm, "How are we going to sell this movie? <laughs> I mean, this game." So, um, so what we did was we ended up changing the name to something called Max Beyond. We you know again, it was like um, a committee decision with within the team. Um, and we we checked the name. There isn't a game called Max Beyond. We're like, great original name already. I'll come top of the list when you find it. Um, and then we decided not to put it on Steam, but we're now putting it on Epic Game Store because Epic um, have opened up their game store for developers to use as kind of like you can put like your early access demo on there for publishers to look at. Um, so they can just you can just send a, a redeem key and redeem it in the Epic Store, and then anyone can play your game. You'd have to publish it, publish it, um, which was 
great because that we, we found that their system was a little bit more a little bit more um a little bit more easier to use than steam steam's great we love steam but steam had its own way of doing things um we found with epic game stores they spent a lot of time getting it right so okay we, we jumped on that which is cool right yeah um but yeah so we're in the middle of getting that demo ready and we're talking that's hence going to develop next week but we're doing a Fortnite game which is like probably the most exciting thing because like i mean that's really fun and like you said it, it so goes fun. it goes in front of so many eyes then too i know which is really it's, cool but you know but you know what's so cool dude like all the physics is done for you already all the weapon systems are done literally all the mechanics are in there i mean now for those you know, for those people out there thinking, oh, I want to make a Fortnite game too. When Fortnite came out, Fortnite was very popular because it had a very UGC component, a user-generated content component, which is like you could use the Fortnite creator tool to create your own islands, your own levels. Mm -hmm. But it was always using the existing Fortnite assets. So when you look at all of the um, user-generated islands created in Fortnite, they all look the same. They, they play differently. You know, some of them have crazy trampolining action and all that really cool stuff, but it all looked the same. Whereas now, if you look at the stuff that's coming out in Fortnite using UEFN, you know, we can create completely new aesthetics, brand new environments, new worlds. But there is a catch. And the catch is you cannot change the playable character. So you have mm. to use Fortnite characters, which makes sense. Yeah, sure. Of course. You know, skins, um, it's you know. like making a Doom level, like making Correct. a wad. Yeah. Correct. Exactly that. But you can change the NPCs, put your own NPCs if you wanted to. You can use the, the programming language called Verse to create your own components and your own devices. So devices are little things like weapon devices, creature devices. Devices are things that make things happen in the game for you, right? That's mm -hmm. literally drag mm -hmm. and drop. But you can create your own devices. So we create our own like cinematic device to trigger off cinematics in a certain way. Um, and But also the other caveat is, which not many people might notice, is you only have 400 meg is your limit. So 400 megabytes oh. is the limit for your total, yeah, for your total game, including... Not a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a lot. But you know what? I'm really glad about that because it forces you to optimize and make smart decisions. And it really reminded me of the PS1 days where mm. I was told to build um, a bike or, or to make a bike look good with a texture size of 64 by 64. Ooh. And I had to tie all those textures and make stuff look really good and sexy with very tiny textures. Now we have 4K textures. We have multiple layering shader system. I mean, look at Call of Duty. It's literally a friggin' high-end animated movie, right? So, but back then you didn't. And I feel like with Fortnite, it forces game developers to really work in an optimized way and focus on good gaming experiences as opposed to just throwing everything at the wall at it, you know, which yeah. a lot of developers do. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me in some ways, and this is kind of a pretentious thing to say, but it reminds me of, like, uh, you know, the, the the literary modernists would, would say that, like, the, the things that, you know, were most effective in helping them uh, make art were, were limitations, right? Like, the idea of, of restrictions and limitations and, and things that were put into place, even, even arbitrary sort of things that were put into place made a... Uh, like made a huge difference. Um, ah. They would, they would like, um, you know, like you'd say, okay, I can only use, you know, X, Y, or Z uh, uh, rhythm with my poetry, or I can only use right. this, or I can only use that. And all of a sudden those restrictions, you're like, oh, actually like I have to make different choices or I have to change what I'm yes. thinking. Like the, the idea of an arbitrary restriction can really sort of like 
help yeah. uh, edit, I guess, is, is the right word there. Some, 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 of my, some of my best work, and I speak to a lot of like game developers and filmmakers, that some of our best work is usually the low budget stuff. Like my sure. first movie sure. was made for very, very shoestring type budget. But the decisions I made, and I look back at the movie now, yes, it's not high end slick polish to the movies that I'm making today. But I'm like, how the hell did I get away with shooting that way and like utilizing that location in a very slick way because now i'm like no we just build the location we build the set right it was back down like, i don't have any money to build any sets yep. i'm gonna yeah. use my friend's backyard or something to make it work it's like um, uh there's a there, i was reading about a, stupid i don't know if this has ever happened to you where there's like a twitter thread or something where you right. you end up reading it and then just like citing it for weeks because it's like it's <laughs> new information um but like uh i was reading a thread about jaws the the steven spielberg oh, movie yeah. and um there's a scene in it where I, I forget the exact scene, but basically it's an underwater scene that they uh, added after the fact because they they suddenly they were like, yeah, we need this scene and we have the extra money. We should probably put it in. But they had finished uh, shooting, so they didn't have the beach or anything anymore. So they filmed it in uh, one of the actors pools and just like, <laughs> yeah. messed, I know that story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, and it looks like I watched the scene and you can't. Like even like with your most cynical eyes on, it's like it's yeah. very difficult to tell that it's in a pool. And it's just like that's incredible that they were able to do that. Absolutely. So some of the best ideas are usually the most simplest ideas mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, no, that's cool. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm almost at an hour here. I won't keep you too much longer, but I had a couple okay. questions. Uh, first off, let me ask you the question about your work. So we don't that so we don't let that fall out. Uh, tell me about <laughs> tell me about Exlantis. Oh, yeah. So Exlantis was originally a metaverse project. So um, we were approached about, I don't know, about just over a year ago or a year and a half ago by an esports company, X Manor, to originally come in and do a trailer for their metaverse. Um, they had this great vision. They had raised a ton of money, but they didn't really have anything, right? Mm. Um, which I'm going to get shot for saying this, but a lot of these metaverse companies don't actually have a lot of things to show. You're not going to get shot by my listeners. I think there's a lot of skepticism over the the metaverse here. Yeah, I mean, well, exactly. So those listening knows what I'm I'm alluding to here. They had this great vision, which was essentially Ready Player One, and, um, and, and they wanted to make that work for real. Um, I'm like, okay, well, if you don't have anything, so how are you gonna how are you gonna convince the world about this metaverse project? They go, well, can you build a trailer? I'm like, sure. So we end up we were hired. I was hired to direct this trailer. My production company handled the trailer, and we built this trailer. And it was interesting because we really had to dive into like what the metaverse could be, what it is now, and what it what it isn't. And so there's a bit of education for us as well. But we built this three and a half minute trailer. Um, actually three minute trailer and it went out and it did really well everyone's like oh this is like the best explanation of what a metaverse is and it's very cinematic and it's all animated it's really cool and then they came back and said hey we want more videos can we have more videos showing gamification for retail and stuff i'm like okay well let me get this right the metaverse is web free and my understanding of web free is web free is immersive and interaction right with your content sure um not necessarily vr but just like having an immersive experience um Whereas Web 2 is video and images and Web 1 is text, right? In the basic form. So um, why are we pitching Web 3 in a Web 2 way? Why don't we actually show people what it's like by actually freaking prototyping it? 
And obviously, they, these guys are not game developers. So they're like, well, how do we do that? You know, <laughs> we love the idea. We love your support and everything. We're like, well, well it's funny you should say that because you know your trailer that we just we, we made for you, we made it in a game engine. And of course, they were like, no, no, it wasn't. It's we impossible. There's no way. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. We're like, no. In fact, you know, give us a couple of months um, with a little bit of budget and we'll take that trailer and make it into a game level, which is essentially what we did for Rift, right? We made that into Max Beyond. So we did that. And I remember their eyes lit up because, oh, my God, this is friggin' amazing. Me and my team on the other hand are like, seriously? It's just <laughs> an open world game, dude. But it just showed the market. So we end up doing that and end up coming on board as their creative consultant and end, end up handling a lot of, the, lot of that um, building of it. We didn't do any of the crypto blockchain. We, To be honest, we don't know enough about it to mm-hmm. do that and we don't, frankly we don't care yeah I, I, face it because I, we're think, I think that's reasonable yeah <laughs> yeah I, right so you, again you're not gonna you're it. not gonna get in trouble with my audience about that I, <laughs> I think I think they will be okay with that position okay <laughs> so we're like, we're like yeah go off and yeah, it's your business you go do the back-end engineering we'll do all the cool creative and how do you convince your team because like my team don't want to be making metaverse projects right I mean Regardless of what they think of it, they're, they're game developers, mm-hmm. they're artists, they want to make cool shit, right? right? So what we decided to do is like, let's look at this as making a big MMO. We're making an open world game. Mm. So the rules of open world is very different to the way linear games are made. You know, you you have to understand how server latencies work. You have to use something called world partitioning in Unreal to have unlimited generation of procedural generating of landscapes and so on so it was amazing we we end up making an open world game which is essentially what Xlantis is but now that's being put on pause until uh, more financing comes in from from the clients and but that's another example where an opportunity presented itself for us to explore what it's like to make open world games and get paid for it as well. Well, I think that, that, that's really interesting because like the the way that you're talking about Xlantis there, like I was, you know, out of the three, I was most skeptical of that one because of the metaverse <laughs> thing. And like, you know, just like frankly, and like that, but that's a great way of sort of looking at something where it's like, okay, listen, yeah. like the market seems to love this web three metaverse thing. Like maybe it's nonsense or, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll just say like, I think, I, I don't think it's, I think it's a non-starter and it's like, okay, great. But you're, you're looking at it and you're going a little bit, what can we pitch that'll still have like value? Like what part of our ideas can kind of like we sneak exactly. in here and, and create and, and do something that's really impressive, which I think is a cool, it's a cool way of, of thinking about, you know, being a creator in, in today's market, which can be demoralizing because like there's, sure. there's so many uh, different, People telling you what the next big thing is that you need to work on is. And it's like, if you can, it, I, I like the idea of being able to work with that and tweak it and create something that make you know, it work for you. Yeah. Make it work. I mean, that, that was the big thing that we wanted to make sure is that we didn't want to do projects because A, it was pain. And yes, we all need to keep the lights on. We, we want to continue making our own original IP. Of course. But if we could take something like this, remove the word metaverse for us internally and use it as a way to make our own open world game. Like we developed so many tools and processes while making Xlantis that we we are now thinking of making our own open world game because of all the learnings and tools. That's amazing. That built. So, you know, sometimes like, you know, we originally the the project came to us it was like a it was essentially looked like a corporate project like you know this esports company wants to make an advert or commercial advert but we made it work for us and now like you know everyone on the team was like thank god we did that project because like you know we're now in a in a position as a studio to really come up with even more crazy ideas yeah because we know how to do that so i always say like whenever someone presents an opportunity to you like at 
for the first second, it may be shit. You're like, oh, that's not what we do. No. But like, here's another example. Like when I did that Disney show, Fast Lane, immediately I was offered another project. And the project was, um, don't shoot me now, Descendants. Right? Oh, Descendants. <laughs> no, no. Don't, my, my, I, I'm a, I'm, I have kids. My my daughter loves, loves Descendants. She, she went there through a go. Descendants there phase. You go. Okay, so you get it. I get it. So, no, no, um, it's, it's huge. Yeah. It, right. So they had Descendants 1, 2, and 3 was still being shot. And they needed... They were doing a like sort of like a short bridge movie, they call it, between Descendants 2 and 3. Yeah. And they're going to release it in the cinema, put it online. Um, they're going to put it on Disney Plus and so on. And they go, how's like, since you're in Vancouver, would you like to come and direct this for us? And like, you know, we'll pay you, you know, whatever you need and make it work. I'm like, now nah. at first I'm like, fucking musical. Are you serious? Like, <laughs> if you guys not seen my stuff. But then I'm like, hey, actually, this is a huge franchise. And the way they want to shoot this, by the way, we built an entire forest inside of an entire um, aircraft hangar. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to be doing that very soon. That's really time. cool. Yeah. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it's tough and, to get too cynical. But that's just like, that's just good right? fun. Yeah, exactly. And when they were saying, oh, we're going to shoot it, we're going to have it, we're going to use an amazing techno crane. We've got the, we got the cinematographer who worked on Skyscraper. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> send me send me the dvds i'll watch them and you make it work for you and i had a blast working on it yes i'm not a musical guy but that's such a blast because i was able to bring my aesthetic which is quite dark and very you know cinematic and then when you watch it you know when you watch it's called um under the it's called under the sea a descendant story if you look at it on disney plus you'll see and you'll see my aesthetic but yet it's a disney musical so i always tell every creator like if someone pitches you something Take a moment, breathe, think about it before saying no, because there could be a way you can make it work for you and elevate you further than you could ever imagine. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a really good thought, actually. That's a that's, that's yeah, that, that no, that's actually really <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think of what to add to it because it's really, really helpful. Like it it it's I think like it's hard to tell people not to be cynical, right? Because there, there's a lot to be cynical about. For sure. Um, but I think, you know, like as regards cynicism and like your own for lack of a better word, brand identity or something like that. Like, yeah, th- there's there's also a way to not get like so caught up with it that you miss out on things. Um, and I think, you know, that that just like it just makes a lot of sense to kind of um, I don't know, like think, think, think carefully about how you can use them just as much yeah. as they use you. If I, if I want to sound like 100%, yeah, yeah. man, 100 percent. Yeah, no, that's that's really, really interesting. Um, well, I've kept you for an hour. Um Okay. Let me let me ask one one more thing, and then I'll sure. I'll, I'll let you get back to uh, all the million jobs you have. Um, <laughs> so, uh, if you were to describe your aesthetic with like one particular thing, like you you know you were talking about it with the Descendants movie, like it, it is this sort of like you know have you seen my work? My work doesn't match with the musical, and then and then you thought of it again. But like yeah. thinking about your aesthetic, you know, I can see it on your I can see it on the Hazamation page. But like <laughs> it's it's you know thinking about all of your projects, I'm not sure I could put a name to it. What what would you what would you say your basic like sort of artistic interests yeah. are like what do you what do you look for when you are making a um, a, sure. a, sh- a movie a game whatever Yeah, that's a really good question, and yeah, for a while I had thought about it because I'm like, well, there isn't one thing that makes my style, and I think um, I think a few people pointed this out, and I'm like, oh, that is the case, and that is the way I use the camera. I use the camera as if it's a character mm. in the movie or the game. Um, like, so, you know, when you see Rift, there's a lot of what, single one-off shots. But the way I use the camera, it's almost like it's a person. I'm telling this person, hey, 
grab this moment and then slowly track to this moment and it, I treat the whole cinematography process like it's a ballet it's a dance and I think that was very evident when you see um, Descendants but even the Disney Fast Lane and all my other movies um, there is there is something I do with cameras that I just fall in love with cinematography and and using the camera as a device to bring the audience closer to the story in a way that is exciting and engaging yeah and like like you'll instantly know like when a sequence is directed by me or when it's directed by someone. So when you watch Fast Lane, I directed the pilot, the second episode, and then I directed episodes seven and eight. The other episodes in between were directed by other directors. And when you look at it, you can see it's directed by different directors and they're they're great on, in their own right. They're amazing directors and they've got their own aesthetic style as well. Like one particular director doesn't move the camera a lot. You know, he's all about the single static shots. It's different, yeah. Which is great for him. And also it's great for the episode because his episode wasn't action-oriented. It was very drama-based, right? Whereas my stuff was very action-oriented. So I, I guess that's the style. And also I guess my choice of colours as well. Like I'm, I love vibrant colours. I'm not a big fan of bleach bypass um, or desaturated, which which is surprising because a lot of British stuff does feel like that. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, a lot, especially a lot of the prestige stuff, right? That's very, it's very washed out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just crank that saturation button, man. I like it. Um, well, it's a little different, right? Yeah. Yeah. But even like if you look at my first movie, The Beyond, which is essentially a, a, a mockumentary, you know, it was graded like a science fiction movie. It wasn't graded like a documentary. Um, so I guess there's a certain style to my thing. But I think for me, it's like, yeah, I, I like to take bold, creative risks with visual style. Like, you know, and I think, you know, I remember watching this documentary about, um, not saying I'm comparable to this guy at all, but I remember watching the documentary about Ridley Scott when uh-huh. he was making Blade Runner and the scene where they're in Terrell Corporation where he's do- about to interrogate Rachel. Clearly, I've watched this film way too much. And, um, Good movie. And <laughs> it's a great movie, exactly. And and in the documentary, the production designer saying that, oh, Ridley wanted me to take the column, the pillars, and turn them upside down. So the bottom is up and the up is at the bottom. And I'm like, why would you do that? But he had, Ridley Scott had an aesthetic. He had a reason why. And when you see the movie, you're like, huh, I can see why he did that. Because it, it makes the room feel kind of odd and kind of like a bit like, this is not designed by a normal person. Terrell, the character, is not a normal person. Right, right. right. So, and, and I think that's the thing that like each director brings an aesthetic, whether it's, whether it's a look thing, whether it's a production designer, or even like, even like when you watch a Tarantino movie, right? Yeah. You know you're watching a Tarantino film. Yeah. Regardless. Absolutely. Right? No, you're right. So everyone, yeah. So everyone brings their film, whether it's in the script or the way you direct performances, right down to the type of music being used. Like obviously James Gunn is very well known for using really cool music in all these films, right? I'm talking about the before he did the Guards in the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in other films as well. And they always had this really good music music vibe about it. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I think, and you know, you know what, dude? I'm still finding it. You know, every day yeah. I'm still fi- I'm still refining that style, refining that that aesthetic and that look that defines me as a filmmaker. I love that. That that, that makes a ton of sense. Well, that's wonderful. I, I I think you know I really admire your ability to be so agile, both both like aesthetically and like professionally. It's like it's really neat because you know. Uh, learning about your work through the Hazmation site is interesting, but like hearing about it from you and the, the sort of depth of it that came before Hazmation is like, yeah. it really adds, adds, adds a lot to it. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing more of it. I'm definitely going to play Moontopia. 
Um, Thank you. You've, you've definitely you've 100 percent sold me on that. So um, <laughs> and, and the rest, too. But I'm, I'm excited about that one. Um, Thank you. All right, man. Well, where can people find your work? Where can people find your stuff? Uh, uh, For sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm quite active on Instagram, so you can find me on Instagram as H-A-Z Dazzle. So has Dazzle. You can find me on Hazimation.com and all our social medias um, links on there as well. But definitely follow on Instagram because I post a lot of behind the scenes. I like sharing as much behind the scenes content so that people can see how these games are being made, you know, what it's like being on a motion capture stage. It's kind of like, because, you know, like, I grew up watching behind the scenes extras on DVDs, right? I would buy DVDs for the extras usually. Um, so this is me giving something back by doing that on Instagram. So yeah, do follow for behind the scenes. And of course I'm on LinkedIn and as well. Right. Okay. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Follow Hazard, both of those things. Check out Hazimation and, uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. This was, this was a blast. Thank you. My pleasure, man. It's been awesome chatting to you. All right. Talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash no cartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.